Welcome everyone to the Leadership Evolve podcast, where each week we explore modern principles and philosophies into leading a better life, both at work and at home. My guest this week is an entrepreneur and self-taught programmer who most recently was featured on Forbes 30 Under 30 and is the founder of Q Audio. If you're an avid sports fan, then you may have heard of Q Audio without even noticing it. Him and his team found a way to transmit data between any microphone and speaker only using sound waves. Without relying on Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, or even cell service, sport teams such as the New Orleans Saints and Green Bay Packers are now able to engage game day fans using the technology and initiating fully synchronized light shows through everyone's phones. This ultrasonic bridge can do many things such as trivia, merchandise, and many more. As a big sports fan myself, I was immediately hooked, but what really drew my fascination to him was how he's been able to lead and run a company at such a young age, and on top of that, how he's been able to adapt since COVID hit. I had an amazing conversation where not only did we dive into all the new adaptations and product introductions he's made, but how the culture he initially set out has kept his team together more than ever before. Please everyone give it up for Jameson Raider. Interesting. I, I remember when, obviously, when I first discovered you guys through the uh, the national championship game, and obviously those light shows were just so crazy. I'm like, I have to see how this works. And one of your selling points is that you don't need the Wi-Fi and, and cellular service. And uh-huh. that was something that I immediately thought of. I'm like, how's how's this happening? And I first thought that the the Superdome had this crazy Wi-Fi that no one else did. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I I, I figured out uh, what you guys do. But I remember one of the first things I read about you was that you went to Northwestern when you were 16. Is, yeah. is that correct? Uh, yep. I I went there. It's pretty young. Um, but yeah. That's insane, man. <laughs> I'm, at 16, I was an idiot. And then I think of myself in college, I was a different kind of idiot. And then I put those two together. That's a recipe for disaster for me. Um, obviously, for you, it was for success. But I mean, how was that? First off, how does that how does that happen in terms of is it just you finish everything so quick that the school says, hey, you're done? Or were you pushing for that? Um. So I kind of, I guess I did like a weird high school thing. Uh, I went to like a small liberal arts high school. There's like 12 kids in the, or like 12 to 15 kids in the whole school, not like my class, the whole school. So it's just like one group of all ages, like uh, all four years, like packed into like one, like little school room, uh, which made some things really cool. Like uh, we studied a lot of American history and we probably learned together on that. But um, there's one professor. Uh, so math was something that like you needed to kind of like study yourself and then you get like some office hours, but mostly it was something you taught yourself. <laughs> uh, and so, um, yeah, I, I, it's kind of funny, but like my, when I was, I guess I started that when I was 14, when I went to that school, mm-hmm. uh, and I did not do any math that whole year. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was always pretty good at math. Uh, mm-hmm. like I, I was always in the um like what i guess geometry is like a norm is like a normal like eighth grade thing maybe or algebra two i did algebra two in like sixth grade then geometry in 
seventh grade or maybe it was a year younger than that. I don't remember. But basically 14 years old, didn't do like any math. And then I started to be like, oh man, I got to like start prepping for college. So I haven't been good at math. Um, most of the schoolwork was like, hey, we're going to read Lemis and we're going to read it in a week. And it's like a 900 page book. So you just spend all day reading. Or like Mark Twain's Joan of Arc. It's like 400 pages and we had to read that in a day. So I spent like 15, like probably probably 20 hours combined over two days reading that book. So it's there was a lot of work, but a lot of it wasn't math. Uh, so then I started teaching myself math. Um, and then once I kind of realized I could teach myself math, I taught myself um, algebra two, trigonometry, and pre-calc all in like nine months. Wow. And then I just moved on to teaching myself calculus. Uh, so when I was 15, I did like four years of math in like one year that I taught myself. Uh, and then, you know, I sat for like the SAT, SAT subject tests and like did well in the SAT and all that. So I just had finished all my work because you can kind of learn at your own pace. Um, so then I applied to colleges. Uh, I got, it was 16. My parents got divorced. And so I was like, am I going to live with my mom? Am I going to live with my dad? Am I going to live with my older brother? And I was like, no, let's go to college. <laughs> man i think you know, i went to i went to a normal public school so for me it was like you're not even taught that that is a possibility but i mean the way you frame it you teach yourself and i always thought like there was some limit as far as like you have to be at least 18 or something like that but um obviously not i was i was dead wrong um, uh, yeah i kind of got worried about like applying to schools that young i said oh, they wouldn't accept me um they'd be like no you know he's too young to come uh, so I applied early to Northwestern. It just I was obsessed with like school rankings. So I saw that that was like uh, you know the top university. It was at least in the top like you know I think it was ranked 11th that year or something. Mm-hmm. So I applied early, and if they accept you, you have to go. So I only applied to one school, and then they accepted me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to Chicago. Wow. Then that timing work was impeccable. Obviously, as you mentioned your parents uh, got that divorce. Yeah. So. So you go to Northwestern. Uh, we can talk about all that later. I'm sure your experiences and what you're seeing was probably so much fun, especially at that age. Uh, but after you go to UCLA graduate school, and what is your mindset at that point? I mean, you go to one of the top universities, and then now you go to one of the top business schools in the country. And if I'm correct, mm-hmm. this is right before Q Audio was kind of originated. But walk me through your mindset as far as right before Q Audio. Uh, came through and i'd love to hear by the way the original idea yeah. you had with that but leading up to that what was kind of your mindset about what your life was going to be like um so yeah i did i uh, graduated northwestern and then i um i business schools typically won't accept you unless you work for like two years um so i guess what kind of happened there was uh, at first i applied for business school like right out of college um, and so I applied to like University of Chicago and Yale and Yale has a silver scholars program for like, uh, like I, I, but basically I interviewed at Yale, uh, and bombed the interview, just bombed it. I did so bad. So I had like a 50% chance of getting into Yale's like silver scholars, like business school when I was right after graduating Northwestern. So I was like around like 20 at that time something like that. And then, uh, and then did not do well in the interview. <laughs> so I didn't end up going. Instead, I started like making some apps and trying to sell them to sports teams. And this wasn't, this was something different. This was like a, like a personal 
project of mine was to make these game day apps and, and try to sell them. So it's things like schedule, things like uh, roster, um, just n- normal things you'd expect to find in an in a app for a sports team. Um, I started getting some sales and then, uh, and then like one of the features was a light show, which used high frequency audio. Um, it didn't start off that way. Originally it used, um, these weird audible beeps. It was like, you know, film reel where it's like three, yeah. two, one, like it was like beep, 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 do. Uh, and so every video had to start with that. Otherwise it wouldn't work. Um, so then I went to UCLA, uh, but I was there for like like a week um, because right <laughs> right after I was able to get funding um, for and create Q Audio. So I, at first it was wow. like a personal project, had some revenue, had like a six figure revenue um, for that year, uh, which was good for like having just created it, and then was able to uh, raise some funds to like make a real company, hire some engineers and some sales staff and then kind of go full speed ahead. Yeah. So before you went to UCLA, you had the original idea for the whole, all the apps and stuff that you mentioned for the game days. Mm. What was the, what was the original inspiration before that? I mean, did you just, it just, you make it sound so easy, by the way. I love it. So I woke (laughs) up and I did the game day apps and the next thing you know, it was boom, got the funding. What was the original thought of, Hey, this is something that has a demand and a combination of I like to do it and I can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that moment like when you first thought that this is something you can do and, and introduce to the market? Uh, so in um, I lived in Omaha, Nebraska after I graduated from Northwestern uh, uh, because I knew somebody who owned a minor league hockey team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just kind of wanted to see how his like was running this hockey team. Uh, so I, went to Omaha and the office in a big arena that had like 4,000 people. Uh, and there'd be, so 4,000 people would come to see these minor league hockey, hockey games. Um, like whatever, 30 times a year, there's 30 home games. Yeah. Um, and I saw there were 17 teams in the league and none of them had an app. Um, now also minor league hockey teams have like no budget. Um, yeah. but but I figured it'd be possible to make an app and sell it to them, but I didn't know how to program. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bought uh, four books off Amazon uh, and taught myself how to program. And so by the time I first had that, you know, picked up my first programming book uh, within 18 months, I'd sold apps to the NBA and NHL. Uh, so it was 18 months from picking up first book, teach myself how to code to making some sales to professional sports teams. Wow. Um, but the process started with trying to make a game day app uh, and sell that to minor league hockey. It's crazy because this sounds exactly like you telling me about um, yourself in grade school and math and how you taught yourself that. It just seems like for you, you're able to completely accelerate and then the whole teaching yourself thing. Would you say, you know, fast forwarding now to – to kind of where we are now and especially with, with when COVID hit, um, what do you think in terms of leadership and, and your management mm-hmm. style, did you take the same approach as far as teaching yourself? Because one of the things with entrepreneurs, I think no one ever talks about is there, you don't have a trainer saying, all right, you know, here's a binder, here's how to be a leader and sit mm-hmm. down and here's what you're going to go through. No one does that. But yet we have so many entrepreneurs like yourself that, 
are able to, you know, not only create that product, but you're able to manage a team uh, with it. How did you get yourself to develop your leadership philosophy and, you know, ultimately set up that culture for Q Audio? Yeah. Um, so I never kind of sat down and thought about, say, leadership skills um, or, or kind of what it would take to become a leader because at the time it was just me. Um, but looking back, um, kind of what I guess what's important is you want to work with other competent people. You want to work with very competent people you feel like you can rely on. Um, and it, it really does kind of start with yourself. Um, so I, I, I guess my strategy has always just been to kind of work as hard as, as possible um, every day. So, you know, uh, I don't typically set goals um, based on like achievements. Like if I'm going to study for a test or, you know, study from a book, um, I don't do, I'm going to do a chapter a day or I'm going to, like that was never my strategy. My strategy was always, I'm going to put in four hours no matter what. Um, so I guess the, the same with, um, learning to program, it was always, I'm going to put in, you know, six hours a day, every day and, uh, and learn it that way. So I guess in terms of kind of being a leader, um, it's definitely like a, a set by example. Um, so for example, <laughs> I make sure with Q audio that I log everything I work on. Um, so I have a, like a, a record of everything I've worked on, how much time that day, and I make it available to the whole team. Um, so they can all see, kind of validate that, that I am accountable, um, for kind of putting in my own time just because I, I want, you know, something, um, similar where we all have accountability, but there's a lot of kind of, I guess, managers or, or leaders who kind of expect that from the people they manage, but don't kind of reciprocate. Um, so I'm always very sure to reciprocate and hold myself to the same standards that I'd hold anybody else on the team. And I think that's so important. And you hear, I have, I have so many buddies that are always complaining about a boss that basically holds themselves on a completely different plane and, mm-hmm. you know, they have to do X, Y, and Z, but he gets to only do X and he doesn't have to worry about Y and Z. Um, what, when COVID hit and obviously the whole world went in shambles and it, you started really seeing everywhere how people started saying this is one of the most important moments for leaders because their reaction and how they handle this, you know, is very telling of how efficient they are and how good of a leader they ultimately are and vice versa. You saw a lot of people show their true colors and, you know, a lot of bad bosses and it kind of came out of the equation. You told me last week when we briefly talked about some of the four things that you guys are doing to change. I'd love to hear more yeah. about that, but Really, I want to hear about how you went to your team as far as your reaction to this. And more importantly, how you got them to rally around that not only are we going to be okay, but we're actually going to try to thrive and we're trying to kind of fully adapt to it. Because uh, everyone's probably in their head thinking this is a doomsday scenario. So how did you rally everyone together? And what are some of the things that you guys are doing right now uh, to adapt to the market? Yeah, so to paint a picture, um, we... I uh, get almost all of our revenue or, you know, prior to COVID from live events and sports. Um, so most of our clients are NFL teams, uh, college sports teams. Um, and for example, March Madness was a client along with a few festivals. So that canceled. 
uh, and basically our revenue is gonna would, would you know drop considerably. Um, so focused on live events and being kind of told there's probably not gonna be live events for at least the next year, maybe the next year and a half, maybe more. Uh, is is pretty devastating. Um, so we had to be agile and and work uh, with what we had. So some of the stuff that we've done lately, uh, I think we've done a you know a pretty good job of of adapting. Um, but some of those things that we've accomplished is first things first is we tried to accommodate our sports team clients. Uh, so we made a lot of our fan engagement products uh, able to be used remotely. So we've done like smartphone light shows on Zoom calls or synchronized trivia games is something we did in venue. So like everybody could play uh, in kind of like an HQ trivia style. Everyone opens up their app and everyone's synchronized and they'll compete. Uh, so that's something we do with fans at home. Uh, so everyone can open up their app and they'll play. All Kentucky fans can play and compete. Um, every, they actually do that every Tuesday and every Thursday. Uh, and now Tennessee is actually starting that today. Um, so it was to kind of make our live event product suite support virtual events, so to speak. Uh, so this, we, we gave sports teams a way to engage their fans, even when the arenas are, um, closed and the games are canceled. Uh, and that was something all of our sports teams wanted, um, really badly. So that was our kind of first priority is accommodate current clients. Uh, and then of course we're always looking for new verticals and new, uh, ways to use our technology. Uh, so something that we can do is we can transmit data through, of course, through sound. So we've done that now with our first rideshare partnership. So in uh, India, actually, we work with a company now called CityFlow that does their buses that like will uh, take professionals from home to the office and back just uh, um just like a, a ride chair that's a large bus for right. you know business people. Mm-hmm. Um, so now everyone can check in with tickets with the, with sound actually. So you board and you can check in using sound from anywhere on the vehicle or the bus, uh, and that's a major wow. benefit because before the ride the driver would have to take his you know smartphone and scan everyone's QR code, and if twelve people are trying to board at once, it really mm-hmm. slows things down. So now everyone can just board and hit transmit, and their ticket is scanned. Um, Damn that. That is crazy. Do you do you see that being able to apply to anything else in transportation? I mean, any, I mean, I'm just thinking out loud here from trains, um, even to eventually to maybe planes. Or uh, do you see you guys transitioning into the logistics field? I mean, because that, that's a pretty that's a pretty crazy accomplishment. Uh, yeah, we're definitely trying to do. Writer will be a big focus of ours, and uh, over the next year longer. I will definitely try to get as many kind of ride share companies uh, to use sound based ticketing as possible. Uh, I think, I, in a, and we've had a lot of inbound inquiries uh, for the past several months from different ride share companies, typically in like the Middle East, uh, India, Asia. Uh, but we were able, never able to get them precisely what they wanted. Uh, but with the focus, during COVID of needing to really make something catch in a new vertical, we're able to finally provide kind of exactly what they were looking for. Um, and I think we'll be able to copy paste that solution for other companies. Wow. You know, it's, 
for what you guys have done in, in honestly a short span of time is uh, super fascinating for me. And the way I think about it, I'm just putting myself as a Q audio employee. And if COVID hits, I'm thinking, oh shit, uh, our product is dependent on in-person events. What the hell is going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to the company? First, I want to say, did you hear any of those reactions first? And then second, what was, it really seems like you have obviously such a calm demeanor that do you think that plays a part into people being confident and being able to rally behind you saying, you know, we're good, we're going to do X, Y, and Z? Yeah, so a lot of other live event companies uh, you'd see would lay off 60% of their employees like, immediately. Um, we saw that a lot. So that was scary for our team. Uh, but I guess in terms of how my approach um, it's always very time-based. So I know that I'm going to, for, you know, eight plus hours that day, and I typically will work like four hours each uh, Saturday and Sunday, that I'm going to try my best to make the best with what I have, no matter what. Uh, so I know that, I guess I try not to stress out about things that you can't necessarily control um, and focus on things you can control. Uh, another big kind of win um, for us here at Q recently has been, we just actually signed, um, Comcast as a, as a customer, um, I think earlier this month, uh, October, uh, was when we finalized it. Um, so that combined with the ride share, uh, has been really big, uh, the live events for our sports teams, just making them remote. And, uh, we're actually being used in a contact tracing application in Asia too. Wow. So these are all inbound. That was inbound as well. Uh, yes. Yeah, we had so many people reach out trying to use ultrasonic audio for contact tracing. Um, do you give that uh, the reason so many inbounds? Do you do you give credit to the great marketing, or do you just think your value prop so good and people are just able to find it? It's, so it's pretty awesome. I'd say how we get inbound, especially for things like contact tracing, uh, that's harder to trace. Inbound for sports or for light shows is easier. Uh, you just imagine they saw it somewhere. Uh, with contact tracing, I guess I have a very popular repository on GitHub where people can demo using ultrasonic audio as a transmission method. So there's a number of them, but most of them don't work very well at all. Most of them work at like two inches or three inches. Uh, and you, you go a foot and it stops working. For our solution, you can transmit. We transmit 200 yards outdoors for football uh, from a pair of speakers. Mm -hmm. So people will try it and see that it works significantly better than what they tried previously and reach out trying to use it for you know some hobby project. So we, we get kind of pretty neat uh, inquiries all the time uh, from kind of independent indie devs who yeah. want to do something unique with their like home theater. Oh, I can. What is the craziest request that you've seen come in? That's a really good question. We keep a lot of logs of funny inquiries, funny ones. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them will be sports teams where there'll be some lady who's like, when is the next Kentucky basketball game? <laughs> and we'll be like, how are we? We're yeah. not. That information is so readily available online. Why would you email us and ask? Uh, in terms of uh, interesting use cases, I guess there's been stuff in hospitals, for example, 
where there'll be some sort of uh, med- some proximity bar in every every office where a doctor can walk in and he has he'll have some badge where it's communicating to you know know when the doctor's on in the room. This isn't something that we actually ended up doing. Uh, I would have been really excited to do it, but it needed higher throughput than we can provide. But that's probably one of the more uh, interesting use cases. I wouldn't say crazy, but interesting. Yeah, I think when you when you first see Q Audio, and even myself when I first encountered it, you you put yourself in this kind of category, like, oh, this is what they can do, you know, with with sport teams and and the light shows. But I mean, even hearing for you the last ten minutes, it just seems like the possibilities are really endless. And uh, you know, whether you want to admit it or not, these kind of accomplishments cannot get done unless I think you have such a close team that's able to work not only well with you but just overall be super productive. If, if I started tomorrow as a Q Audio employee and, and say hypothetically there's this massive open space office and I'm in there, what is what would they tell me is, is the biggest aspect of your culture and what you guys stand for? And then you did mention a little bit about the authenticity that you have and, and the accountability that you are very open about. What else mm-hmm. would you say really has solidified as your culture that, like I said, it, it is definitely showing in what you guys are doing right now? Yeah. That's a great question. So I, it's definitely and I, definitely something I've noticed in my own personal work life and something that I've read in kind of every business startup book is to just, it's, it's always about assembling the right people. Like uh, there's a book called uh, From Good to Great and he f- focuses on companies that kind of were good uh, but then they kind of had this great streak where they outperformed the market by some crazy multiple. Uh, and something he emphasizes is like the right team before you even decide what you're going to do. Like you need the right people before you, before you have the right product even. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was very fortunate to meet the right salesperson um, early on in my career, right at the start of Q Audio. Uh, and his name's Ira Akers and he's just the most wholesome person you'd ever, you'd ever come across, uh, and extremely competent in what he does, which is, uh, sales. He's just somebody that everybody loves. So I'd say uh, getting that momentum of the, of the right people. Once you have one, it makes it easier to find, find the others and then kind of being, rigorous with with hiring uh, don't be like too eager you really should uh kind of do your due diligence mm-hmm. because it, once you make a decision it's hard to go back so just making sure that you you really do have the the right people on the boat yeah no it's i've uh, i've had my uh, fair share of bad hires and you know you you don't realize it because you don't want to give up and you you know you take the responsibility you want to teach them and you think they're going to work out but um it's a tough pill to swallow i remember the first uh, firing I had to do. And it was no one's fault. It was just a bad hire. You know, I mm-hmm. just wasn't a fit. Um, have you, you know, someone like you who who's teach, teaches yourself at such a crazy speed, um, what has been the biggest learning moments for you um, as a leader in managing your teams? You know, for me, it was firing. It really woke me up to what you just said and you're spot on. I'm going to put more time into making sure I hire the right person and it makes it easier to manage after that if the expectations are set. But what is something right now 
that has helped you grow and you use to continue grow as a leader on top of growing Q Audio? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I guess it was interesting that I was a self-taught software engineer around the same time as being a self-taught entrepreneur. So I guess you see a lot of learn to code um, kind of evangelists with the end goal being how to get a job at a software company or how to start making freelance money on the side. Uh, well, for me, it was how do I create a, a tech startup if I don't know how to code? Well, first thing I did is learn how to code. Um, so I guess some of the biggest learning experiences or things that I've learned is uh, one was I did a, a Reddit AMA uh, in 2017, so like three years ago. And uh, it became one of the most popular Reddit AMAs ever. It wow. would like hit like the top 40 of all time. Uh, and I was releasing software, but my intention was to kind of release this software as a uh, compiled library so that people couldn't like re read the code and change it. I wanted people to be able to play with it and like use it, um, mm -hmm. but not modify it. Uh, but I didn't know enough about obfuscation to where I, I totally just released all this source code. Uh, <laughs> the, I, uh, and that was kind of a learning curve when it came to the software engineering mm -hmm. side uh, was, you know, sometimes it really can hurt to be self-taught and not have some expertise to kind of double check your work and make sure that that it's not releasing source code to under like one of the biggest digital spotlights on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then another one, I guess on the entrepreneur side is so many times you'll bump into people who have these connections who, you know, they'll say, I have, you know, I have so many connections. I can make you, I can do this, this, this. I go to dinner parties with the owners of the New York jets like uh, a lot of people are consultants who will just say that they know the biggest people in the industry. And a lot of times they do. A lot of times they really do. Um, but there's, in my experience, having worked with several people who promise so many big things, uh, there's really just not a shortcut. And most of the time, you should really favor intelligence and hard work over connections. Uh, and you'll kind of get bit if you. I actually, I, I've worked with several people who promised so many connections mm -hmm. and never once has something like that actually worked out well. So the last thing you want to do is give out equity to somebody because they have connections. Uh, you really, if you're going to give out equity, it needs to be because they're uh, willing to put in time and they're willing to work hard and they're somebody you want to work with for a really, really long time. I think the the average relationship between like business partners and between a startup and a, and a venture capital firm is longer than the average marriage relationship. Wow. Um, so those are important decisions and relationships that yeah. you're committing to. And hard work is something that in my eyes, like you can't bullshit, you know, you, it's, it's, it's rather there or it's not. And I was actually <laughs> listening to a podcast on my way to work today. Um, it was uh, Joe Rogan with this um, uh, psychologist talking about narcissism and talks about, you know, people, you go to a party or I don't know if you've seen Jimmy Kimmel. He does those uh, fake yeah. interviews in front of a music festival. And he goes, I have you, you know, are you excited to see the dump trucks perform? And the kids are like, yeah, I love them. And they have this new CD out. I can't wait to listen. And I think people just, 
they fall into this fiction tale. And in this case being connections. And especially when you go to these networking events, I'm sure you've been to a hundred of them. It just seems like they're, they're saying things that you want to hear, but you're totally right. And, and you seem like someone that, uh, you know, values the hard work and that's what you judge it off. And um, I think you wouldn't be here today if you bought into some of those people saying, I have this connection, I have that, and you just fully went into it. Mm-hmm. Like, even if that person does have the connection and they make the introduction, you mm-hmm. can't get anywhere without the substance and product to back it up. Uh, those connections aren't going to do anything for you yeah. unless you really have a product market fit. And once you do have a product market fit, there's a billion people trying to make those connections for you. And at that point, you almost don't need them. So the really the thing to focus on is your product market fit and not how many connections you 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 have um, or don't have. Would you say the bigger you guys have gotten, the smaller your circle has become? Uh, I'm pretty introverted, like mm-hmm. just normally. Uh, so no, I'd say you definitely you definitely meet more people, uh, and more people you know would try to to meet you. So I guess it it hasn't you know necessarily gotten smaller. It def- it does increase, um, but you do find kind of a core group of people mm-hmm. that you enjoy working with, and you want to work with them for forever. Um, if you were to work on another project, you you just know that you want to team up with so and so and so and so because they they in your experience they are. Um, incredibly talented so for example our sales guy ira and our designer um are people who i imagine be very difficult to work without because they really kind of get the job done and i rely really really heavily on on those skill sets and those personalities Mm -hmm. yeah man that i mean uh seems like people on your team they they truly love working for you and you seem uh from this brief conversation you seem very genuine and authentic and um I think that's a perfect place to kind of end it there uh, i want to thank you man uh for really agreeing to do this uh it's awesome talking to you i'm i'm excited to follow q audio's journey especially when we come back into in-person fan events and mm-hmm. uh everything else that you guys are doing seriously uh it's, it's been a pleasure yeah thank you so much thanks for inviting me um it was a lot of fun and uh i'll keep my eye out on on this episode and future episodes to come I hope you enjoyed that episode and I really, really appreciate your support. If you want to learn more, please visit leadershipev.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at rdg at leadershipev.com. That's A-R-D-I-G at leadershipev.com. Thank you and see you soon. And just ran a long distance. My girlfriend told me all I needed was persistence. Opportunity come one time, so don't miss it. I listen.